Oh my gosh, it's happening. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Um, I'm so delighted that you said yes. Um, we met each other a few years ago. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but how's the weather in your neck of the woods? Well, first of all, thank you so very much for, um, for asking me to, to, to be on this. And I'm just um, grateful and honored and, and just happy oh. to get the chance to talk about it. So thank you. And I appreciate all the work that you do. So, um, so I'm just thrilled and delighted to be here. But um, the weather here is dreary. <laughs> I don't know what it's like where you are, but it's pretty, it's pretty um, overcast. Even it was foggy this morning, which is weird. I'm in D.C. Um, and it's a little chilly, but not as chilly as, um, as it is going to get. How, how about there? What's it like there? Well, here in Raleigh, North Carolina, it's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, my brother the lives there. So my brother lives there and I, it's, it's definitely great weather and you're close to beaches and all these fun things. Mm -hmm. So I know you enjoy it. <laughs> I sure do. I sure do. Well, all right. Part of what we do here on no thanks, but yes, chill conversations with splendid people featuring uh, folks who have at some point in their life overcome a chaotic relationship with substances and now they're doing really cool stuff, creative stuff. And that's you, sister. <laughs> um, and, and we introduce ourselves on, on, on this show. So tell us who you are. So my name is Charlotte, Charlotte Wincott. And um, so I am a medical scientist, or um, we call it medical science liaison. In, um, in, I work at a pharmaceutical company, and I also am a filmmaker, which is something that I do, um, I would say for fun, but it's really, uh, it's really an important sort of part of my science outreach. I've been doing that for about five years, um, and um, you, you know, I've worked with the Addiction Policy Forum uh, is, is on their uh, sort of board and uh, council. I'm really passionate about the addiction space as you are. So, so that's just kind of a little bit about, about who I am. So you mentioned, um, filmmaking and that's actually how we met. I went to a film screening of platitudes back in December of 2019 up in DC. I was in town on business and, uh, just came to, to meet you. And, uh, that's what I did. That that was that was um that was that was a fun show. And I, I looked back at what I posted about it and that it was it it was it was about, you know, I, I mentioned family, family addiction and, and resilience and I don't know, some other words I threw out there, maybe some platitudes. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like I was so glad to kind of get the chance to talk to you afterwards, but I agree, it was a really um I really enjoyed doing that event. So, so, you know, Jess and I have had some, um, you know, some similar sort of, uh, childhood experiences. And I know that it can be really difficult for kids who are growing up in the families of those who struggle with substance use disorder. So I, I made a, a little short, um, a short that was sort of semi-autobiographical, but had 
some other elements in it, but we got the chance that we showed that, which you saw when, when you were there. And, um, and we both got the chance to talk to the audience kind of about our experiences and, and what it's like kind of growing up in a, in a family with those, um, with those challenges. So I think that, um, and it, it was really enlightening. And, and some of these events are like that because you get the chance to see people who, and talk to people who have been through so much, just like we have. And it's, um, it's a great way to kind of connect. So if you can share some of your story and be open, like we're doing, you know, on this podcast, you have the chance to reach people. And that's, I think, a really important element. I think you get that. And, and that's yeah. why seems like you're doing this too, but it was a great event and it was so wonderful to get to meet you and to see all the great things that you're doing for, for recovery in the community. Uh, blah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was the other comment I made about it is the, um, how our storytelling can, can help address stigma can, can change public perception of people who use drugs and people experiencing addiction and family members and their stories. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed it very much. And I remember I wore a sweater too. So it was chilly up in, in DC. <laughs> yeah, it was probably, I can't even, I can't even remember. It, it was in the winter. I, you know, it's so funny right before the sort of pandemic hit of kind of, it's also sort of hazy, but we did another event where um, it, it was up in New York where Jess had come up and we were, um, doing an event with a lot on the mind, which is another person that I collaborate with sometimes for these types of events. And, um, you know, it, it is, and, and we do these occasionally, but it's really, like you said, it's a real great way to get people talking, to start these important conversations. And um, I think that that's part of how we're going to overcome this epidemic is if we stop being so afraid to share about it and we start sharing about it and telling our stories. And then I think that we can start to get other people to share their stories. So it was great that you and I connected that way and that we're able to connect with others through that. Sure. Oh, that's great. Yes, we do. When we, when we tell our stories, we embolden others to do the same. And there's just um, a contagious spread of, of, uh, of normalizing this experience. Ah, I hope one day that that is the case. So you, 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 so do you identify as a person in recovery? And, and if you do, what does that mean to you? That is another great question. So yes, I do identify as a person in recovery. And, you know, I'm really glad that you asked because I think that this is something that I've not always been so freely open about it because I, I know, mm. I know in general, so, so, so I come from, I studied, um, I've, I have a PhD in neuroscience, but I studied in, um, in a lab where um, one of the, one of the scientists who, um, who, who basically was a proponent of methadone. So it was in the Creek lab at Rockefeller. I wasn't there for a super long time, like mm -hmm. uh, after, my, after my PhD when I'd done my postdoc. And I think that it's something that I learned kind of in her lab. So she, she basically was one of the pioneers of methadone. She kind of like uh, wow. took the ball. Yeah, she, she, was, she was, you know, we didn't always agree with her. <laughs> I mean, she had her challenges, but she had done so much <laughs> work for the space and, and being able to help so many people, which I will always admire. And she passed away. But um, one of the things that, um, you know, we learned there is that, you know, addiction is a, a brain disease. I mean, it's something that um, is chronic, generally chronically relapsing. So when you're in recovery, and you start learning about this, like I kind of did, it's, it's something where you're almost scared to talk about it, because you think, 
it's chronically relapsing. And I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to, something bad is going to happen or something's mm-hmm. going to change it. And I think, so it's only been in the last kind of few years that I've started to kind of share about it because I've gotten so much time behind me. So I, as far as how the way I define recovery, and this is where I diverge from possibly others, but my own personal definition, and I say personal definition because everybody has their own um, definition of recovery and I respect that. And I think that's really important. Mine involves um, not, not uh, using alcohol and not using illicit drugs, but I don't say that that should be, that's may not be everybody's um, definition of recovery and that's okay. And I just, I I make sure to say that because I I think that one of the issues that we have um, in recovery and just being able to get through um, this horrible epidemic is that people are um, reticent about starting things and trying things and going to this program or trying smart recovery, doing CBD, because if you don't follow all of these stringent rules, you're out. And I don't like that. I think we really need to show love and kindness to everybody who is trying to get well and find a pathway. And my recovery isn't better than somebody else's recovery and vice versa. And I think it's incredibly important that we start opening opening up our arms. So while my definition includes not drinking and not using illicit uh, substances that may not be everybody's and I respect that but yes I do I do consider myself a person in recovery that's brilliant you know I um I hadn't thought about the holding such maybe a a, a strict and, and 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 rigorously defined definition of recovery as being a barrier to initiating it because why would I, or how can I, that, that's great. It, it reminds me of uh, something I've learned about recently uh, reading Maya Solovitz is uh, Marlatt's abstinence violation principle, where, where we have this concept. Sometimes we're socialized to believe if, if we, if we do a little, then it's all over, start from square one. So we may as well do a lot. Right. No, that's such a good point. And I have followed some of her reporting. I mean, she's done, you know, a lot of amazing work in general. Um, and I, I do think that that can be where it's sort of like, if you, if you sort of don't do exactly the right thing, according to these really strict definitions, then, um, then you're suddenly filled with all this shame. And like you said, oh, I do a whole bunch, but basically it, it sort of wrecks people's, um, uh, sort of self-efficacy and belief that they can actually recover. And I think that um, we need to just stop stop being judgmental of others in their recovery process. And I think it's really important that you and I are talking about this, that I know you're outspoken about some of these things. And I, I really appreciate that because that's the only way that we're going to draw people in and not scare them away. <laughs> <laughs> Call them in without calling them out. Is, yes, is something- exactly. Yeah. I wanted to also mention real quick is that what I really think recovery is, is obviously recover itself is like to get better. Right. But it's not just, it's like, are are we able to get better and um, give back? Are we able to be of service? Are we able to fulfill our potential? And I think if we're able to, um, whether we stop drinking and using drugs or we cut down or whatever it is so that we feel like we're productive members of society. And so we can function and thrive. I think that's Mm -hmm. what recovery means to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of your definition. And, uh, 
And I, I dig that. Uh, and, and, and we find ourselves, I find myself wanting that for others. And, and there was a time when I was a young clinician where that kind of got in the way where I was like, you need to come and get it. Oh, dog. Yeah. Or, you know, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that, you know, it's, we, you know, we want so badly, like I, I know even with my mom and stuff, it's like, we want so badly for people to just right away say, I'm so willing and I'm so motivated and this is the end and I'm going to just turn mm. my life completely around. Like we want that so badly for people and there's nothing we can do if that's not in, you know, if, if that's not what they want to do or for whatever reason. So I think we have to kind of let go of that and just we can only, as, as we talk about, you, you know, it's like, we can only change ourselves. Right. And we can try to show people by example, um, the kind of life that we want to live and they have to kind of do some of, some of the work to, to make changes if they want to. But I know for somebody, especially if you're, you've been doing a treatment and all of that, you really want people to get it because you know how much they can give back and you know how much joy <laughs> they can find, you, mm-hmm. you know, so I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, recovery recovery i want to talk about what you what you're passionate about what you do now what you do now you you, you've uh since platitudes you've done a number of projects and you've got got a current project out that's getting a lot of splendid attention what what's you what's what's going on with you (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love the way you asked that Uh, well so you know i so, so I, and thank you for, for these wonderful questions. You're a really good interviewer and easy to uh-huh. talk. To. <laughs> so, um, well, so, so I, you know, I made the shorts and you saw platitudes and we, we were doing some sort of outreach events on those. I've done a couple of features. Um, one of which is really, um, you know, it's like a passion project. So my husband, and he's okay with me talking about this, but he's also in recovery and um, he struggled with um, cocaine use disorder. So basically he agreed to tell his story and I used sort of my, um, my network of friends who were, in, um, who were scientists and um, clinicians and they basically sent me voiceovers because this was during the heart of the pandemic. And we put together this um, feature called Fall Fight Shine, which is basically, you know, kind of like a way to really, um, really sort of um, break down what I think recovery is or or when you're when you have this sort of chaotic, as you mentioned, relationship with drugs or alcohol, you fall. But then if you fight hard enough, you can um, you can then um, you can then show your light, you can shine and and you can make a difference for others. Mm -hmm. So we basically kind of put this this it's like 50 minutes. You can even watch it for free on Tubi. Um, we did it to give back and we've, um, you know, we've really, we've won some awards at film festivals, but the main thing that we've really appreciated is that we've been able to do some of these outreach events where we'll have some of the panelists or the scientists come and talk, um, in front of people, but we'll give people the chance to ask questions and talk about it. And what's meant so much is just like, like you and I were talking about opening up this narrative and, and, and sort of starting these conversations is that, you know, we've been able to really get people talking about this. Cause if we can come out and say, you know, we're in recovery, this is what's happening in the brain when, um, when someone develops a substance use disorder, this is why it's so hard to, to sort of recover. This is what mm-hmm. happens in the brain. So we want to tell the science story, but also show like a real world example. So that's, 
that's kind of my last, um, you know, that's my latest uh, uh, film that um, is out, but that's the one that um, I think it, we made it to help people and hopefully it will. Yeah. Oh, that's splendid. I, I love, um, I know how much learning the science of substance use disorder has helped to uh, melt my internalized stigma and, 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 and shame and, and, and has helped my family members and the people whom I have served and their family members. But when I go out into systems to try and make positive change, just rendering the science doesn't quite cut it, but pairing it with, with narrative, a visual narrative, a story, uh, an affable person, um, it, it's game-changing stuff. And that's yes. what you put out there. <laughs> well, you know, it's great that you say this because I 100% agree. So I think that um, and I think that sometimes scientists kind of miss the mark with this. So when I worked, you know, as a scientist in labs, I think that's something that is there's a disconnect between sort of the real world experience of what those of us who have been through addiction or substance use disorders, what we feel and um, how incredibly um, just challenging it can feel internally like it's a very visceral challenge you have to undergo when you're going through it and there's something that I think is really missed and kind of medicalized in a way in the scientific community that I don't think that there's enough sort of crosstalk and understanding between the two so I think if we can get more scientists to get to, to go grassroots and kind of talk to people who are suffering or who have family members who are suffering that I think that we can kind of bridge this divide and we can understand each other. So hundred percent agree with you that you kind of, you have to understand the heartfelt struggles mm -hmm. and pain that people go through to be able to care about the science. And so I think that's really important what you said. No, I think it's important what you just said. Uh, what was that? You have to you have to know and feel and touch the stories to care about the science. I, yeah. I think that's what you said. That that's heavy. No, people people were losing their children like crazy with the, with um, with heroin and uh, prescription opioid overdoses, and nobody was sharing about it for a long, long time. And if people started just talking about it, how much more attention would it have gotten to maybe stop some of the deaths? So I think that when we're talking about addiction, like you and I are right now, we have the chance to reach people to stop what is, um, you know, some of the, the tragedy that's happened. So that's mm. just sort of like, you know, my take. Yeah. Oh, if we can learn, if we can learn. So, so um, sharing those stories earlier in this overdose crisis may, may have uh, had us intervening earlier. I do remember when, when the first uh, transparent obituaries started coming out, they garnered national attention. Uh, you know, so-and-so in North Carolina's son died of an overdose. And that's what they said in the obituary. Yeah. And it was new. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so important, um, so important, especially like in hindsight, we see this now, like, yeah. you know, in hindsight, we can say, gosh, I wish they had started doing that early, but it's like, yeah, nobody wants to talk about, yeah. nobody wants to talk about it because they're ashamed and embarrassed. And how can we change um, the narrative and, and destigmatize this so that we say, hey, somebody in my family has really struggled with this. And then somebody says, well, it's funny you should mention it, me too. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important. Well, 
what uh, what I like to show also is that recovery from substance use disorder is, is not a trudge through a veil of tears and uh, that it is it, it, it can be and often is a joyful, connected, purpose driven, fun, goofy life, potentially. And so I want to ask you what, what you do for fun and what you do, you know, for kicks. And a lot of times that intersects with what we do for our creative and our work and everything. But t- tell me, tell me what you're into. Well, so, well, when I first quit drinking and using illicit drugs a bazillion years, years ago, I remember, I remember that feeling like I was never going to have any joy again. I was really irritated. I was like, well, how, how do you people have fun? <laughs> like, I felt just, I just felt like it was like a miserable existence that was coming for me forever. And it took some time to kind of get out of those thought processes. Like when you first are just getting well, you think, you know, everything is so boring. Like how can anything, but I think as time goes on, your brain starts to, um, I think your brain starts to recover. And I don't think the scientists, I don't think we know as scientists exactly how long it takes. And we don't know all the nitty gritty underlying sort of the recovering brain we'd like to. And I think they're working on it. Um, But the thing is, is that it just takes a while for us to be able to say, I went to a movie and that was fun. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be just doing these outrageous things uh, in an altered state. Like you start to realize, I just went for a run and I feel like a million bucks or, you know, I just listened to this new album and the music just was just so incredible. And um, there are things that you can do that, um, that give you some real enjoyment and, and joy uh, and um, I don't want to say euphoria, but you're close to that. I know when I listen to a new song that I love, sometimes I'm like, this is amazing. And we know that that in the nucleus of convention, you can have the release of dopamine in response to, to music that you like, and we, that there are some data on that. But I think that sort of the things that I've found that have been helped, that have really helped me with my own recovery and sort of being able to, um, to go for a long period of time without drinking and using illicit substances. I mean, I, I exercise a ton and I think that that's like, you know, there are lots of data showing that, that, um, that improves mood. Um, that for me has just been a life, you know, a, a, a lifesaver in, in so many different ways. I also do other things that I'll pick up and, um, and kind of do for a while and then, and then change my mind. Like I, I paint for, I painted for a while. I might paint, you know, this week. Like I do um, things that are sort of artistic projects that I find to be fun. I make the films. That's been an, a huge, um, you know, a huge uh, and enjoyable process because I've gotten the chance to learn. But also, you know, I went back to school when I, when I quit um, drinking and using illicit substances and um, that was in and of itself a challenge that always had me sort of focused on something and focused on a goal. And I think having goal directed behaviors, in addition to kind of giving back and helping others and trying to think of ways that you can help others. I think if we have these things, it takes our mind off of what's missing, like drugs and alcohol. But those are just things that work for me. I have a great family and I have great people around me and not everyone has all of those things at their disposal. Oh, w- well done. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you, you understand 
the brain is involved. So, you know, when I say, what do you do for fun? You, you go <laughs> right to, well, the neurotransmitter activity associated <laughs> well, with crocheting is off the chain. <laughs> right. You know, there probably is something to that. Fact, probably. Well, I, guess if, I guess if you have a different colored yarn or something unexpected, <laughs> you would get the, <laughs> the dopamine. But, but they, there are things like in the real world that can, you know, may, maybe it's not to the degree of cocaine or whatever, right. whatever type of illicit substance, but you can really like have some fun in life without those things. So like you said, it can be really joyful. And I, I know, what do you, what do you think? What do you do for, for fun? Well, I, I, I dig my family and I dig my job and, and I, I do like to get out and hike and bike. And, um, but one thing that I learned also in recovery was this disordered learning theoretical model of substance use disorder work. Cause I started using alcohol and drugs young. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that we don't really learn is this, um, uh, delayed gratification and and senses of joy from the mundane you know so yeah. I, I do I do uh, like when I play with my grandkids or something and I, and I'm feeling that you know that feeling uh, it, and and I want to acknowledge to people in early recovery that uh, I, I kind of was incapable of feeling that, you know, for, for a while, but it comes, it comes and it's part of the healing process. And I do wish we knew more about the recovering brain there, there, there's, you know, there's a, a shelf, not a library, but we're working on it. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to put it. That is. And I'm so glad that you've been able to find these activities that make mm. you feel fulfilled. And I understand, I completely agree. It's like, it takes, it takes us a long time before we, you know, before we can really appreciate some of these, um, some of these activities that really should be joyful anyway, but we've, yeah. we've done, you know, our brains have gone through some stuff. <laughs> so They sure have. And, 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 uh, you know, another school of thought that, you know, we kind of started off behind the eight ball, some, some, dopamine yeah. receptor availability so maybe you know we weren't experiencing joy to the same level as our peers and so you know alcohol and drugs brought us up to yes reward deficiency syndrome so ah. I, you know i'm really interested in that so there's there's a school of thought reward deficiency syndrome where it could be sort of either way like you said like you don't naturally maybe you have different alleles that play a role in sort of reward perception beforehand. But mm. we know that there's a lot of, and we don't know for sure, because it could be the other way around. Maybe when people do drugs and, um, or uh, when they actually go to do drugs, they, they feel so much better than, than other people. And maybe that's right. why they, they use them more than others. So it's not, it's not necessarily clear and it's probably different, you know, right. depending on, on, um, on that, on, you know, who it is and, and a lot of individual differences in general, but it's very interesting to kind of think about it. We know that those who struggle with substance use disorders have comorbidities, you know, oh, yeah. ranging from depression to anxiety, PTSD. I mean, so many of these um, mental health challenges can go hand in hand with substance use disorders. So, you know, we're, we're always going to be trying to figure it out. Well, you know, on the nerd side of things, that is what's so exciting about this particular chronic illness, if I can be, you know, if I can say that, is that it, it is, it's not simple. It's complex, multifactorial etiology 
manifesting so differently and and treated so differently in every person that I, I guess it you could see it also as wow you know I wish I could just take a, a high blood pressure pill and and I'm good but absolutely no I think that what you just said is so so important to consider is that when you have all these different things that can be playing a role. So you can have, I, I would always call it like this nature nurture collision. I'm probably mm. sure read that somewhere, but it's like you have um, all these stressors and say you have, um, inv- you have a genetic vulnerabilities, but they, they somehow collide at some point and maybe you're impulsive and at that, at that wrong time, somebody offers you a drug, but you all, but you already have um, sensitivity or vulnerability. And because of that wrong moment, you know, you're, you're off to the races. And I think that if we, if we know that there's so many complexities to it, that's why we, we have to be careful in the way that we, we tell people to, to try to get better is that if it's so complicated, to, um, to become a person who struggles with substance use disorder, how is it gonna be easy? And how is there gonna be one size fits all for everybody to recover? So I think we have to really be careful as far as understanding how, how incredibly complicated the disease itself is as well as ways to get well. So I'm glad that you brought that up. No, I'm glad that you put it in better words. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, you did. It's, it- it's complicated, and 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 yeah. I'm always uh, I'm always wary of simple solutions to complex problems. I figure someone's either being lazy or someone's making a buck. Exactly, <laughs> or they've got no idea what they're talking about. Because this is <laughs> this is it is so incredibly complicated. It's kind of like you know I studied it uh, in um, rodents, and it was complicated in rodents. And you bring people into the picture. I mean, it is so freaking complicated. So there's so many things involved. So when people always say, can you just, you know, make it really simple as to, okay, well, what are steps one, two, and three to get well? I'm like, no, No. (laughs) sorry, I can't. There's just, you cannot oversimplify this in any way, shape or form, but um, you can sort of edge people to kind of help them find, find a way and have the will to find a way, I think. Right on, right on. Well, you know, every um, episode uh, give an opportunity for guests to to share, you know, a succinct message. You know, I think it's really, really important to keep reminding those people who are um, listening or having challenges either with themselves and their own behaviors or their family members to just remember they can turn the car around and they can live a life of recovery and they can get there no matter what has gone on in the past. They just, it's just that we have to keep reminding them to have hope and to keep trying. I guess that that's cheesy, but that's how I feel. Obviously it takes an incredible amount of hard work, which I know that that you've done and, and it takes discipline and all of that. We may come from more privileged backgrounds and others who may not have access to the same resources, may not have enough love around them, may not have all of these other things. So that those create huge complexities and barriers and hurdles. Some people may need um, different types of um, support and some, some may need to be more intense, but um, you know, there, I do believe that there's a way. That's how I feel about my recovery was that, um, you know, I had a fair amount of dumb luck and privilege that went into it, but then my fair share of hard work. Yeah. All right. That This is, oh gosh, such a treat. I, I hate for it to be over, but all good things must end. 
<laughs> well, I'm so grateful that you would invite me and I'm so impressed with the work that you've been yeah. doing and all of the outreach that you do. It touches my heart and I hope you continue to do it. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it in any way. Uh, Peshaw. Hey, I'm going to come up to your neck of the woods and, and I might uh, I might hit you up and, and we'll go out and have a cup of coffee or something. I would love it. And um, happy birthday not too long ago. <laughs> hey, ditto, sister. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for having me and I'm looking forward to staying in touch.